The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Let us humbly confess our sins unto Almighty God. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore thou those who are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind, in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you absolution and remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. O Lord, open thou our lips. And our mouth shall show forth thy praise. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Praise ye the Lord. The Lord's name be praised. Psalm 37, verses 1 through, the appointed is 1 through 24. We're going to read through 1, 20, uh, 1 through 25 tonight. We'll read through verse 25. Fret not thyself because of the ungodly, neither be thou envious against the evildoers. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and be withered even as the green herb. Put thou thy trust in the Lord, and be doing good. Dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thou in the Lord, and he shall give thee thy heart's desire. Commit thy way unto the Lord, and put thy trust in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall make thy righteousness as clear as the light, and thy just dealings as the noonday. Hold thee still in the Lord, and abide patiently upon him. But grieve not thyself at him whose way doth prosper against the man that doeth after evil counsels. Leave off from wrath, and let go displeasure. Fret not thyself, else shall thou be moved to do evil. Wicked doers shall be rooted out, and they that patiently abide the Lord, those shall inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the ungodly shall be clean gone. Thou shalt look after his place, and he shall be away. But the meek-spirited shall possess the earth, and shall be refreshed in the multitude of peace. The ungodly seeketh counsel against the just, and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh him to scorn, for he hath seen that his day is coming. The ungodly have drawn out the sword, and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy, and to slay such as be upright in their way. Their sword shall go through their own heart, and their bow shall be broken. A small thing that the righteous hath is better than great riches of the ungodly. For the arms of the ungodly shall be broken, and the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the godly, and their inheritance shall endure forever. They shall not be confounded in the perilous time, and in the days of dearth they shall have enough. As for the ungodly, they shall perish and the enemies of the Lord shall consume as fat as lambs, yea, even as the smoke shall they consume away. The ungodly borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous is merciful and liberal. 
blessed such are such as are blessed of God shall possess the land, and they that are cursed of him shall be rooted out. The Lord ordereth a good man's going, and maketh his way acceptable to himself. Though he fall, he shall not be cast away, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young, and now am old, and yet saw I never the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging their bread. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Here beginneth the fourth chapter of the book of Micah. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war any more. But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all people walk, each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame, I will gather the outcast, and those whom I have afflicted, I will make the lame a remnant and the outcast a strong nation. So the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on, even forever. And you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. Even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Here endeth the first lesson. My soul doth magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour, for he hath regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed, for he that is mighty hath magnified me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him throughout all generations. He hath showed strength with his arm, he hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seat, and hath exalted the humble and meek. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He, remembering his mercy, hath holpen his servant Israel, as he promised to our forefathers Abraham and his seed forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Here begin at the 13th verse of the fourth chapter of St. Paul's epistle to the Romans. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect, because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body, already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. 
Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Here endeth the second lesson. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles, and to be the glory of thy people Israel. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with thy spirit. Let us pray. O Lord, show thy mercy upon us. And grant us thy salvation. O Lord, save the state. And mercifully hear us when we call upon thee. And do thy ministers with righteousness. And make thy chosen people joyful. O Lord, save thy people. And bless thine inheritance. Give peace in our time, O Lord. For it is thou, Lord, only that makest us dwell in safety. O God, may clean our hearts within us. And take not thy Holy Spirit from us. Let thy merciful ears, O Lord, be open to the prayers of thy humble servants, and that they may obtain their petitions, make them to ask such things as shall please thee, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. O God, from whom all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works do proceed, give unto thy servants that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey thy commandments, and also that by thee, we being defended from the fear of our enemies, may pass our time in rest and quietness through the merits of Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. Light in our darkness, we beseech thee, O Lord, and by thy great mercy defend us from all perils and dangers of this night, for the love of thy only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Evening all. What brief thoughts about our lessons tonight. Begin again in Psalm 37, and we, we were there last Monday as well. We get another wonderful uh, chance to talk about it. And this time I would like to focus in particularly on these verses at the outset of the psalm that uh, that I believe are in, indicative of the, the main point of this first half of the psalm, what we read. Um, where starting in verse 7, he's, the psalmist says, Hold thee still in the Lord, and abide patiently upon him. But grieve not thyself at him whose way doth prosper against the man that doeth after evil counsels. And then in verse 9, Wicked doers shall be rooted out, and they that patiently abide the Lord, those shall inherit the land. There is a, an image in this psalm that is striking in that um, while things are peaceful, uh, the wicked seem to prosper and the righteous seem to just be either doing neutrally or to be even struggling at times. Um, and yet in the sort of long-term horizon, especially through the in inevitable season of tribulation, there is this reversal that takes place where we see that in the end, those who patiently trusted in the Lord um, are shown to have been possessed of great wisdom all along the way, um, which is a bit of irony in, in the psalm because we have to presume that um, if, you know, wicked, the wicked seems to flourish in the short term and the righteous flourish in the long term, um, that in the short term, we would look on the, the righteous as foolish because they didn't seem to be doing as well. And further, I might even say, you know, having spent a long time among religious people who look to apply religious concepts, uh, they might even look at them as the wicked 
because they're not doing very well and didn't the Lord promise to bless those who had been righteous and who had been faithful to him. And so we get ourselves into a bit of a convoluted situation here where those who, it's difficult to tell sometimes who is who is righteous and who is not righteous depending on their circumstances. And one of the easy errors we can fall into is to assume that we know who is who in the midst of this. And this is really the dilemma that Micah is talking about here in his book. And he's coming to a point here in Micah chapter four, where he speaks of this vision of the, the what he calls the Mount Zion. Um, it's important to note that Mount Zion is a recurring image in the prophetic literature that has to do with Jerusalem, um, but not the Jerusalem that was, you know, sort of present at any one of those prophets' times. It speaks of a future of future Jerusalem and a future temple in the midst of that Jerusalem that in which everything is going as it is intended to go, where God dwells in the midst of his people and where everyone is faithfully turned toward God and they take their movement and their sort of harmony and order from him. And so everything moves in a kind of uh, in a kind of great dance around that center point uh, where God is ordering all of creation and, and Jerusalem and the hill where the temple sits becomes this kind of axis point uh, in this sort of this uh, this still point around which the, the world kind of turns. Uh, and there, so that's the that's the image Micah is pointing out that there will be a future restoration of Jerusalem where that is the state of it, which contrasts with everything he's been saying in the three subs, the three prior chapters where which we've been reading over the last few days. So the problem we will, you know, as we return to this, this state of Jerusalem and Micah is looking at it from the outside as a kind of person living in the country. Uh, is that it has um, made that critical mistake uh, of misapplying Psalm 37, where they they have attributed to themselves a kind of righteous status because they're the temple city, because they just recently survived this great siege of the Assyrians, whereas the northern kingdom got completely obliterated. And now they're going to be, you know, now they are fashioning themselves to be this um, you know, these these people that are favored of God, even though they are growing increasingly lax in their faithfulness to the law. And this is exemplified most in the fact that they are trying to retain an outward sense of prosperity and well-being in the temple city um, at the expense of true justice and mercy. Um, and Micah will come out and directly say this here in a few in a couple of chapters. But this is the core problem of Jerusalem at the time of Micah is that they are trying to retain this appearance that they are enjoying the prosperity that is the fruitfulness of righteousness, where they have, are actually just sort of artificially creating it. And the further along they go, the more extreme have to become their exercises of injustice in order to keep this illusion propped up. Uh, and so well, we're, in, we're in this increasingly bad situation where uh, Judah and its capital of Jerusalem are um, in attempting to show just how favored they are of God, are actually incurring the judgment of God upon themselves and are going to be judged in the same way that the northern kingdom that they think they're so much better than uh, has been recently judged. By the time Micah the prophet dies, they're within 100 years of the fall of Jerusalem at the hands of the Babylonians. And so it really becomes a question of what does uh, you know that sort of righteous status look like? Um, and it looks a lot like, as the psalmist says, that it is someone who bears with patience their temporal affliction without turning their head to the apparently greener pastures of the way of the wicked and the way of injustice and the way of covenant unfaithfulness. And instead, keep their eyes steadily and humbly and obediently in the way of the Lord. In, and in the short term, that doesn't always feel like it's the right decision to make. It doesn't always feel like trusting in God is the right thing to do because it can sometimes feel quite uncomfortable and even very difficult. And yet, in the long term, that's that's recognized as wisdom, but it's recognized in wisdom after one has endured with patience that season of affliction. And so that's the difficulty. That's the challenge. And so one has to kind of endure through that with the vision of that future blessing um, while in the meantime, undergoing sometimes really great hardship, especially when they're like Micah is seeing ahead for the people of Jerusalem, going to be in the midst of a people who are acting largely unfaithfully, so that even the faithful like Jeremiah the prophet, who are 
you know, trusting in God and faithful to his calling are still going to suffer the siege of Jerusalem by the Babylonians because the city has in total become corrupted. So as we move into Romans chapter four, this comes to a head in the, in the, uh, the in St. Paul's point about Abraham here is that first, um, that the righteousness of Abraham was not in, and the, the blessing that God promised Abraham was not ever intended to be a divisive issue that um, made Israel feel like they had this special status um, over and above the rest of the nations. And St. Paul points this out by going back to the literal words of God when he says, I will make you the father of many nations. Um, and this is a strange kind of thing to think about because the rest of the characters in Genesis became the fathers of one nation, except for this line, line of Abraham. We think of Esau who got spun off, of Ishmael who got spun off, of all these other figures who spun off and they became the fathers of their own singular linear peoples. And yet somehow Abraham is supposed to be the father of, of many nations. And in fact, as he will find out later, that all nations will be blessed through him as a kind of father figure. And so what does this mean? But that, you know, Abraham is promised that somehow he will be through him, there will be this blessing given to all who will all be drawn back to his seed at the end. And so this promise St. Paul is un unfolding points to the, for the fulfillment of the gospel in Jesus um, and points to the fact too, like in the Psalms, we see that in the short-term sense, we're not sure how God is going to work this out. And yet what he calls us upon us to do is to patiently abide with him, to abide with him faithfully and not turn our eyes to the left or to the right, but rather to keep our eyes fixed on him through the moments of perplexity, through the moments of adversity. Because in the end, that is where real wisdom and real happiness end up being. And so as we conclude here tonight, you know, St. Paul's point here is that Abraham's great faithfulness and the reason why God credited to him this righteous status was not because of some, you know, some, you know, intrinsic greatness that Abraham had. In fact, Abraham is the first to admit to God, I'm I'm old. I can't, I, you know, I'm, I'm like my body cannot, and, and Sarah's body, they can't produce children anymore. So I don't know where these many nations that I'm going to be the father of are supposed to come. And yet, nevertheless, he says, and yet, you know, at your word, right, I will put, I will trust in your word. He becomes a kind of prefiguring of the Virgin Mary who says the same thing and welcomes in the incarnation. Uh, and so as we conclude tonight, we remember that, um, Sometimes we're in the arc, the story arc, where the point in the story arc, where things look like, you know, outward prosperity. Sometimes we look are in the point in the story arc where things look like outward adversity. The point is that whether we're in a season of consolation or desolation, that we for, we don't forget um, that in either case, um, we still have to have trust. We still have to hope that because we still have to exercise hope because the thing to which we are being gathered is beyond both the season of tempor temporary consolation and the season of temporary desolation. Beyond both of those things is Jesus and his kingdom in that world restored. And until we get there, all these other seasons are seasons we are passing through. And the point is to fix our eyes on the Lord and to keep walking. And so we do that together tonight. And we'll conclude with our intercession together. Accept, O Lord, our intercessions for all mankind. Let the light of thy gospel shine upon all nations, and may as many as have received it live as becomes it. Be gracious unto thy church, and grant that every member of the same in his vocation and ministry may serve thee faithfully. Bless all in authority over us, and so rule their hearts and strengthen their hands that they may punish wickedness and vice and maintain thy true religion and virtue. Send down thy blessings temporal and spiritual upon all our relations, friends, and neighbors. Reward all who have done us good and pardon all those who have done or wish us evil and give them repentance and better minds. Be merciful to all who are in any trouble. And do thou, the God of pity, administer to them according to their several necessities, 
for his sake who went about doing good, thy Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Thank you all so much for joining in this evening. Thanks to Barbara and Rochelle, my co-leaders, and I hope you'll have a wonderful evening. Thank you, Father Hayden. Thank you, Thank you for that meditation. Yes. Good to see Master Thank you. It was. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I see that right there. Bye-bye. Hey. Thank you.